You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to the Hokey Hangover Podcast. I am Andrew Alex from ESPN Blacksburg. I am joined by the usual suspects as always. First, in a very snowy, icy Northern Virginia, we have the one and only Mike McDaniel. Mike, what's going on, dude? The weather sucks, so it's good to have a roof over my head. Yes, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Didn't get as much snow and ice here in Blacksburg as we expected, but it was enough for the vast majority of people not to go to work, not to go to school. Virginia Tech with a cancellation, Mike. They didn't used to do that back in our day, did they? Uh, no, no, definitely not. Uh, it's a little Things are a little different now, Andrew. Yeah, and probably for the better, because it was pretty brutal watching people just slip and slide and essentially bust their ass all over yeah. Virginia every time there was a, uh, a snowstorm. So Virginia Tech making progress in the right direction on that. But we also have... Our other host, the one and only Ricky LeBlue from the 757. Ricky, what's good, dude? Well, it's uh, it's good to be back on the pod. Feels like it's been a while. Um, I want to give a shout out to all the people in Texas. I have some family there. I know they're going through some some stuff right now. Um, it's absolutely awful, but we're thinking of you. Um, just be thankful for, I'm thankful that, you know, we can do this podcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, Rick, we're happy to have you here. We got a lot to talk about today. Football, basketball, maybe some baseball. Who knows? But first, we wouldn't even be able to do this podcast if it wasn't for the good folks over at Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg is the pharmacy you want to go to if you want a health care provider that truly cares about you. Be a neighbor, not a number. Head on over to Main Street Pharmacy. Dr. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. All right, gentlemen, starting on the tech football front, Virginia Tech has added someone with a familiar last name to the staff over at Merriman, the last name Tenuta. Yes, John Tenuta, the father of Luke Tenuta, has been added to Justin Fuente's staff as a defensive analyst. Long history in college football. He's been an assistant at UVA, NC State, Cincinnati, Notre Dame, Georgia Tech, actually coached as a head coach a game at Georgia Tech because who could forget the 2007 Rhodes Humanitarian Bowl where Fresno State beat Georgia Tech 40-28, to a real highlight in the history of football. Very similar to what a lot of programs do, but I look on my Twitter feed and I see Mike McDaniel getting in arguments with faceless opponents who are criticizing the hire. My first question goes to Mike. Who is criticizing this hire? And explain why they're wrong. 
people that don't like Fuente are criticizing the hire and wish that Tech had moved on from him. That's who's criticizing it now. It's not a it's not a large swath of people, but you do get the vocal minority on Twitter and my mentions from time to time criticizing smart coaching decisions. This is something that Ricky wrote about. This is something that you know Ricky had mentioned when Jerry Kill was hired. Um, you need to bring in guys as part of your program who have been there and done that. It doesn't need to be in major roles, but if you have areas of your program from a staff standpoint um, that can be fortified with guys who have good experience, always bring those guys in the door. That's something that Virginia Tech did successfully with Jerry Kill. Like Ricky wrote in his column, it bottomed out worse than I think a lot of us expected when Jerry Kill wasn't part of the coaching staff this past year. But his immediate uh, his immediate presence on the staff was palpable, right? It was a really huge um, it was a huge addition to the staff, and it really helped the program out. Adding Tenuta, John Tenuta, a guy who's got 40 years of coaching experience, who has been a defensive coordinator at a number of stops very reputable programs along the way having him join the program makes sense on number for a number of reasons number one he's coached in the ACC before that's really important um, just knowing the landscape understanding um, the programs that are there within the conference and what their abilities are both on and on on and off the field is really important you guys will remember he coached not only at Georgia Tech but he also coached at UVA um, that's significant for a number of reasons number two he's just a proven coach a guy who could mentor Justin Hamilton, which Justin Hamilton is in year two. He's a young coach. Um, I don't even really, it's hard to really count this as a true uh, year one for him. Next year is really going to feel like a, a year one with a full off season and the ability to implement his system. But to have a voice in the room like John Tenuta, who's been there and done that will benefit Hamilton uh, both on the field this coming year and also in the years to come, it will be huge for his development. Anytime you can bring in analysts uh, to help coach uh, these guys on your team, especially for a program like Virginia Tech that's struggled lately, it's a net positive for the program, regardless of who the head coach is. This needed to be done from an infrastructure standpoint, whether you like what Justin Fuente is doing or not, whether he was under fire or not, whether he was successful or not. You have to have analysts on your staff these days. All of the really successful programs have done that. Um, the joke has been the the Nick Saban school for wayward boys, right? That's been thrown around on multiple national football podcasts uh, because Nick Saban essentially brings in these coordinators um, and, and head coaches from other places that have, you know, failed and need to repair their image. They've joined Nick Saban in an analyst role or in a coordinator role. They've been successful and they moved on. I understand Virginia tech is not Alabama, but the comparison I want to draw here is that anytime you can bring successful coaches onto the staff, it's only going to help you. Virginia Tech needs to continue to invest money into their football program um, to make these roles more readily available for coaches that are on the market and who would be open to coming to Blacksburg to coach and to help out. So continue to make those roles available with more infrastructure into your program. Do that both in these on-field roles um, as well as with recruiting, which we've talked about numerous times on this podcast. All of this and the fact that John Tenuta's kid is Luke Tenuta and he's an offensive lineman on the team, that's just kind of a cool part of it, too. He gets to, you know, be on the coaching staff for a major college football program with, as his son is going through the process of being a college football player at Virginia Tech. That's just kind of an added uh, cool part of this entire thing. 
Mike, first of all, a couple of thoughts here for me before we get to Ricky. Number one, the criticism is just outlandish. And this is coming from people that wouldn't compliment Justin Fuente if he donated his entire salary to charity. I mean, some of these people online don't think this guy can do anything right. And my message to you, pick your spots. Pick your spots. As we saw last year, Justin Fuente has given you plenty of opportunities to fairly criticize him and the job he has done at Virginia Tech. That being said, it is February. Justin Fuente is still the head coach of Virginia Tech. We know that, and we have known that for a while. And just, you know, meme crushing him over and over and over again in the middle of March isn't going to accomplish anything. Save your energy, and if things don't go well come the fall, then you have all of the right, all of the vindication in the world to attack him. But right now, I think that's pointless. Number two, Tanuda, an experienced guy. Everything you said is right, Mike. And in a world where there's been unfortunate attrition on the offensive line, I think we lock our, our best guy down for at least some time, which is, uh, which is nice because Tanuda – who didn't come in as hyped as Nestor and didn't come in as hyped as Hudson quickly emerged as a potential pro prospect. And he's trending that way as his first two seasons in the program have gone. But Ricky, do you think this is a big move? Do you think this adds a lot of benefit for Virginia tech? I saw you penned an article about it and you seem to like the move, right? I don't like it. I love it. Um, This is, this is the kind of move that had to happen this offseason for me to have any sort of confidence that this coaching staff will be able to put together a a really respectable showing next season. Um, Mike, kind of to your point, two things can be true at once, right? So number one, this is a good hire. There's There, there is no objective – objective standard that you can look at and say, this is a bad hire, right? John Tenuta has more coaching experience than I've been alive. He's been a defensive coordinator at eight different schools. He's coached all three position groups uh, on, on that side of the ball. He was on Cincinnati's defensive staff last year, who was one of the best defenses in the country. He has just, innumerable experiences that no one on the tech staff has you cannot put a value on that um he's also an outsider so something i I talked about this offseason was needing to bring in a jerry kill like figure someone who is not a fuente loyalist or someone that that grew up under a fuente staff right you need someone who has a different mindset a, a, a maybe a, a different set of experiences, someone who can look at something and criticize it from a different perspective than anyone else on the staff might have. And I think that's especially true on the defensive side of the ball when you consider most of the coaching, the coaches on that side of the ball have gotten most of their coaching experience under Justin Fuente. The other thing is that, yes, th- th- this kind of hire shouldn't really be necessary. Um, Justin Fuente is or should be a good enough coach where he doesn't need to bring in someone who can help him keep parts of his program accountable. That's a fair criticism. Uh, but it to me, it doesn't take away from the fact that this is a tremendous hire. 
And as long as John Tenuta is given enough leeway to be impactful in the ways that he needs to be impactful, I don't see how this hire fails. I think this will make Tech's defense exceptionally better this coming season. I think it's going to make Justin Hamilton a better coordinator moving forward. I think it's going to help guys like Ryan Smith and Jack Tyler immensely, guys that are still getting their feet wet in the coaching industry. Having someone like John Tenuta, who hopefully is going to come in and be a bit of a hard ass. That's kind of what I'm hoping he's going to be. Someone who is, you know, maybe sometimes rub people the wrong way, but he's going to be fair and honest. And I think that's the kind of personality that this this program needs right now. So I think this is a slam dunk hire. And um, while I understand some people are using it as a chance to criticize Justin Fuente, and I'll hear you on the fact that, yes, Justin shouldn't need to bring in guys like Jerry Kill and John Tenuta to help him save his program. Um, the fact that Justin has recognized that this is a need is an encouraging sign. Yeah, and at any level – to your point, any organization, whether it be a private business, governmental, or a college football program, when you kind of have this close-knit group that's been working together for so long under the same regime, you kind of get entrenched in your habits. And yes, yes. one of the massive criticisms that we've seen of Coach Fuente is with him and his staff, it's kind of been my way or the highway, and I don't want to hear – any other way to do it. And whether that's true or not, that's the perception that is out there. And we saw what happened with Jerry kill. And we saw what happened with the running game in the second half of the season in 2019, clearly. And Deshaun McLeese, I believe personally attested to this. He came in, shook things up a little bit, told Fuente, I don't like what you're doing here. I don't like your evaluation on this kid, this, that, or the other. And suddenly we saw improvement. I mean, for all intents and purposes, he became the de facto running back, running backs coach in 2019. Zon Burden was out the door, right? Like Jerry Kill basically sealed Zon Burden's fate, which now Zon Burden has landed at Maryland, which let me tell you how unsurprising that is. Good Lord. Um, but I, I'm not expecting John Snuda to come in and start taking people's jobs, but I am expecting him as someone with 40 years of experience to be able to come in and say, look, you're doing this wrong. This is how it needs to get done. You're letting kid, you're you're letting X kid get away with Y. We can't do that. We need to bench him. Things like that. I think he's really going to hold people accountable. And that kind of mentality and mindset, I think, will make a huge difference for a staff that is still learning how to coach. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Does this move the needle at all on your expectations though, or is it kind of a, a wait and see thing? I, I, it moves the needle a little bit. It, it's not all of a sudden going to make Virginia tech a 10 win team. Right. But th this is the kind of move that if, if Tenuta, and I stress this, if Tenuta is allowed to impact the program in ways that he should be allowed to impact the program, and by that, I mean a little bit of oversight over some of these defensive assistants, helping them get their rotations right, helping them get their coaching adjustments right, helping them instill a proper culture. If he's allowed to do those things, I think it makes this defense much, much better than it would have been without him. 
Yeah, I agree. I don't and, think he takes the job without assurances that he could do that. Yeah, and, and, and from from my understanding, Tenuta is kind of a stronger personality, and I think that this defensive staff really needs that. So if he's allowed to come in and start um, instilling a, a tougher culture, then it should make this defense at least, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 spots better than they would have been. And th that may sound like a massive jump, but it's really not when you consider how many schools are in FBS. So I, my, my hope is that there's an offensive version of this in, in the works. I don't know that that is the case. I have heard that is a possibility. But if that is the case and they're able to bring in an offensive version of John Tenuta, it will be two of the best coaching hires that Justin Fuente has made ever. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to ask you guys a question about the defense. I want to ask you about leadership on that side of the ball. A lot of faces, you know, Divine Diablo is out. Rayshard Ashby's out. Who do you guys look to as the leader of that defense, which is going to have a lot of pressure on it to improve and improve fast here in 2021? I don't know. Mike, do you have, I mean, do, I'm, yeah, I'm, I, I, I think it would be lazy to say Dax Hollifield. Yeah. Like, Dax has not shown that he, I mean, he's, he's shown the ability to be an emotional catalyst. I think that's fair to say, but Dax has not shown the ability to stay on the football field. And it's kind of hard to be a leader of a unit if you can't even stay on the field. So I'm not really sure who picks up the mantle. I'm going to go with Jermaine Waller. Um, but I mean, you talk about guys who like don't stay on the field. Like he's been hurt. Yeah. Too. Yeah. I was um, about to say like he, <laughs> he really struggled. I mean, now granted, it wasn't because he wasn't good. Right, right, yeah, first, of course. Right, but I, but he, yeah, he, he didn't really. Well, he wasn't able to stay on the field much either. I mean, I don't know if it's. I, I, is it someone like Amari Barno who is, you know, ha had a really good year last year and can be a really good player? Is he able to? I don't think he's kind of. I don't think he's that kind of personality. I could be wrong, but he doesn't strike me as someone who's able to kick, start kicking people in the ass. Like, like Ricky Walker was, or yeah. Reggie Floyd was maybe, maybe it's Jordan Williams. Now I understand he hasn't been with the program, but he's coming from one that knows what it's doing in Clemson. Right. So yeah, I guess and maybe, but, but he, maybe he comes in, but as far as like guys who have like been with the program, the only other guy I can think of that really stands out to me. And I'm sure there are people listening who are probably like screaming somebody's name that we haven't mentioned. And it's like a blatant omission or something. I'm going to, I'm going to pull up the roster real quick to make sure I'm not missing anyone. But yeah. The, the one, the one other guy I was going to, to mention was Alan Tisdale, um, but he's been very up and down too. So yeah. I don't know. It depends on what kind of leader you're looking for, Andrew. I guess is the 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 way to answer Jamari this. Jamari like, Connor, possibly. Jamari I mean, Connor is a good I, candidate. He's, he's had some issues with, um, in my opinion, lack of attention to detail on that side of the ball. But he definitely has, I think, the respect of his of his team. Um. Emmanuel Belmar, maybe. Yeah. Like, but but that that is a really good question, Andrew, because there really isn't someone who that has been groomed for this role. Dax, I guess, was supposed to be the guy. Um, but 
he has kind of his own issues that he's got to take care of before he can, you know, step in and, and consider himself the leader of the defense. Yeah, I, it's interesting, right? Because I mean, you, you talk to guys who are in that room about leaders on this team, and many of them will point right to Tyrell Smith, who's just been with the program forever. Now, Tyrell Smith doesn't get a lot of time on the field. Tyrell Smith has never gotten a lot of time on the field. But it's that presence who's been there since day one, since Frank Beamer. You know, he's going to turn 25 this year. I don't know whether he's returning to the roster or not, but Fuente said they'd certainly give him the opportunity because you have to have a culture guy in there. Who's yeah. the culture guy on that side of the ball? With so many, last year it was clearly Divine Diablo. And before that, like you said, it was clearly Reggie Floyd. This year, it's kind of open season. And to your Jordan Williams point, Mike, that's one of the things I'm most curious about in the modern age of college football. With transfers in, transfers out, how quickly can a guy get accustomed to a culture and make an impact on a leadership level? I'm not in the room, so it's hard to tell. And I'm sure it varies based on the personality of the player, but we're kind of in uncharted waters at this point, right? I mean, I think that even in the last three years, the, the landscape of college football today, because of the transfer portal, completely different than where we were, th where we were three years ago. Yeah, I mean, things are different now. Um, I think, like you mentioned, I think it's totally different on, per like, totally depending on the personality, right? Like, I don't know enough about Jordan Williams, the person, to really know if he's going to come in and be this, like, emotional leader. My guess is that, you know, playing in the trenches at Clemson gives you the opportunity um, to speak up when you come to Virginia Tech and you're playing with a program that hasn't been to the heights that Clemson has been to since he was on the roster there. I think that helps, but I just don't know what kind of personality he is, if he fits that mold, if he's even comfortable enough to come in right away and speak his mind like that. I'm sure he'll become comfortable. Um, but look, Virginia Tech's going to be relying on him to be a big presence in the middle of the defense because he is a good player who was you know, in the rotation on Clemson's defensive line that seems to be running like 10 to 15 guys out there a game. So he's a good player and he's going to have his opportunity uh, on the field. So he'll have the leadership opportunity as well. It'll be interesting to see if he seizes that. Indeed. Indeed. My, my hope would be that some, that John Tenuta and JC Price would be able to help Justin Hamilton identify people on that side of the ball that can develop into leadership roles because those guys have been around the game long enough to know what kind of personality traits are necessary in order to do that. Indeed. Indeed. Let's transition over to the basketball side. Oh, nice pond. Nice segue. I like it. Yeah, there you go. Over to the basketball side of things where Virginia Tech hasn't played a game or will not have played a game in two and a half weeks. First, it was their opponents with the COVID issues. Now it's the Hokies themselves. It's a long break. This is a, you know, the kind of break that outside of the COVID season, you would never have on a basketball schedule. That being said, because of the COVID issues, you avoid North Carolina, Louisville, and Florida State, three of the tougher teams on the schedule. So I want to ask you guys this. Is it a net positive for Virginia Tech because they avoided the tough opponents on the road to trying to get a high seed in the NCAA tournament? Or will the break itself do more damage than good? 
Uh, well, it depends on how you look at it. I mean, Jalen Cohn sprained his ankle against Miami. He was probably going to miss a game or two. Um, he still might miss some time, who's to say. But it's good that Virginia Tech didn't play a bunch of games without Jalen Cohn. He was struggling shooting the ball lately anyway, so it's probably good for his sake that he has a little bit of a break to get his mind right and also get his ankle right. But Tech needs him to play well. Cordell Pemsel has not played in the better part of the last six weeks. And I think he's going to be really important come tournament time um, to give these bigs a rest, um, even in a pinch. Keve Aluma and Justin Mutz have played a ton of minutes this year. And Cordell Pemsel was actually giving Virginia Tech very good minutes early on this year before he got hurt. He was close to returning. Um, Mike Young had mentioned before the Miami game that we would be seeing Cordell Pemsel sooner rather than later, which was good news. But the fact that now Tech hasn't played in two more weeks probably puts Pemsel in line to play uh, the next time Tech takes the floor. I mean, the Hokies are scheduled to play this weekend. We'll see if that actually ends up happening or not. Or they were scheduled and that got canceled. But early next week, I guess, is when they're scheduled to play again. So things have been just kind of totally up in the air with this basketball program from that standpoint. Um, I, I think the, the one part that benefits Virginia Tech from a tournament standpoint is that Tech already has a number of really good wins this year under their belt. Um, if Tech was in a position where they were on the bubble or even just like fighting to get onto the bubble and they weren't able to play these games against big-time opponents, I think that would really hurt. The fact that Virginia Tech has wins under their belt and is a solid lock at this point to make the tournament, I think, is a feather in their cap for the timing that they totally can't control with who catches COVID and who doesn't. So hopefully they can avoid a major outbreak. Um, it seems like it might just be a couple staffers who A, got the virus and B, were contact traced to the rest of the team. So if that's the case, you know, hopefully Tech's able to stay relatively healthy and, and in the clear from this. And I, I think that at this time of year, it's always good. It always helps to play good opponents to really get a gauge of kind of where you're at and to prepare you for the ACC tournament. And then of course, for, the NCAA tournament and March Madness, but I think it really just kind of depends on how you look at it. I think it's good that Tech's going to be able to get healthier. I think it's good because I think Tyrese Radford will likely be able to, to come back and play soon as well, um, and, and you're not going to miss any more games without him, I would venture to say. So when you have an opportunity to get guys back on the court and have your full roster, to have the pause now, I don't think is necessarily as bad as it could have been just given tech situation from a win loss standpoint and given the, you know, how the injuries were piling up and guys that were missing. What gives you confidence that they won't play another game without Tyrese Radford? Well, he traveled to Miami. Um, that that's a big part of it. And Mike Young had mentioned a number of times that, you know, he's, he had been doing everything he was supposed to do. And prior to the Miami game, things had started to look, better for him um, from the standpoint of, you know, his legal situation was coming to a head. Um, you know, he pled guilty to the driving while intoxicated charge. He pled no contest to uh, the concealed carry charge um, earlier that week prior to the Miami game. Uh, and the fact that Mike Young had, you know, spoken about Radford, the person, and that he made a mistake, but he was contrite. And we've heard nothing but good things about Tyrese Radford obviously while still acknowledging that this was a, this was a tough mistake for him. Right. And, and something that he needs to learn from, but Mike Young has been really supportive of him. The fact that he traveled to Miami, I think was a huge step. And the fact now that he's had kind of two more weeks to, you know, 
prove that he's in a good spot from a personal standpoint um, to Mike Young, I think can only benefit him. And I think there's a pretty good chance he plays soon. Um, Now, is that the next time they're on the court? I mean, maybe it is, maybe it's not, but I just think overall from an injury standpoint and just personnel wise, I think it's really good that this was the time that they had the break. If you had to pick one time throughout the schedule, um, I think tech could have had a much worse time uh, maybe early on in the year, you know, prior to that Villanova game or, you know, prior to the UVA game where you go on pause, I think having those two wins under your belt, you know, that's huge. And then having guys be able to get healthy as part of this is an indirect, I guess, positive of this whole thing. Ricky, what are your thoughts on the matter? Good, bad, who knows? Kind of a push. I think, I think Mike's kind of got it figured out. Um, having the injury issues that they're having, trying to get Tyrese Radford ready to go. Um, you would like to avoid having to play really good teams in that, in that time span, right? And then we're going to have to play Florida State twice, Carolina. Um, all three of those teams can beat Tech on any given night, right? So they're, they're going into three tough games with trying to figure out when their best player is going to be available to play, when one of their best shooters is going to be available, and if their backup center can, can finally come back. So there's a lot to consider there. But I did want to emphasize Mike's other point, which is you want your team to have to play tough opponents. You want them to get exposure to good teams. Um, Mike sent out a funny tweet earlier this week where he said Florida State was the best team in the ACC and then put an asterisk afterwards and said this week, which is accurate because the ACC is <laughs> crapshoot, it seems like. Um, but Florida State's still really good, right? And you want your guys to have to see them on the floor and having to see them twice in the span of, what, 12 days would be a pretty good test for them. Um, obviously, we're, we're, they're probably not going to get that test now. So you look at the schedule. Um, Georgia Tech is the first game that's up on there right now. That's Tuesday night, the 23rd. Wake Forest next, not this coming Saturday, but next Saturday. They get Louisville on March 3rd, and then the regular season is currently slated to end on the 6th of March. Um, All four of those games are winnable, and if they're able to get Cordell Pemsel back, if Jalen Cohn is able to get his ankle ready, and Lord knows if Tyrese Radford comes back for those four games, there is a legitimate chance that Tech can go 4-0 to finish the season, which would be huge for the team. So it, it, it... it's kind of a push because they probably would have lost. They, they, they may have lost two of the three games that got postponed, which would have put, you know, a, a bad taste in their mouth and fans would have started to get nervous. But I do think there are some long-term benefits of, of getting your, you know, your teeth kicked in before the AC tournament. So you can start to look at some things you need to work on. So it, it's kind of a push. Yeah. And the one other thing that, that you brought up that, I kind of said indirectly, but also didn't directly address. So I want to bring it up real quick. The fact that they're going to have now these four games, hopefully, if everybody's healthy. Yeah, hope and, so. You know, if Tyrese Radford comes back, you're going to have four games, four winnable games to kind of get your chemistry right. I mean, it's been yeah. a while since Tyrese Radford's been on the floor. It's been even longer since Cordell Pemsel's been on the floor. Jalen Cohn, I'm not as worried about. Um, I'm, I'm more worried about just the health of his ankle. 
but the fact that you're going to have some time to get guys back on the floor integrated into the rotation and, you know, feeling good about playing minutes in an ACC game. It's one thing to go through practice when you've been, you know, hurt. It's another thing to go through a, a game, right. And to go up against ACC competition for Cordell Pemsel and Tyrese Radford to, you know, be conditioned and be in game shape. I think having those four games that are winnable and kind of integrating them back into the rotation will be huge. And then hopefully Jalen Cohn's of course, healthy enough as well. But I think that's one benefit of having like four winnable games. It's tough to integrate Cordell Pemsel when he hasn't played in six weeks against Florida state. It's like, okay, well he's got to play because Florida state's, they're just a big team. So you've got to play him, but you know, he's going to be out of shape. You know, he's, or at least at the very least not in game shape. Right. And Dude, then can know, Leonard Hamilton stop recruiting like six ten and up guys. Like I'm over it. Yeah, I'm tired. I'm yeah. tired of every time Florida State rolls up on the schedule, they've got five like legit fives on the team. I was intrigued by the for him. Yes, yeah. Well, I was intrigued by this the by the Florida State game because this is probably the best that Virginia Tech has matched up against Florida State from like actually having bodies to match Florida State's mix yeah, in a long time. A I mean, they depth. could never match up against them with Buzz. No. Well, yeah, because Buzz didn't believe in having anyone over 6'10 on the roster. Exactly. Except Dave, for KJ. <laughs> yeah. All right. Do you guys me. remember that first year when Justin Bibbs played the five and <laughs> in, in Tallahassee? And I'm pretty sure Tech lost that game at like 25 or something like that. But Justin Bibbs was playing the five. That you guys remember that? It was a roller coaster. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I mean, it ended up working out in the end. Those were like the key pieces of the, of the tournament. I know. All playing as freshmen. Shouts out to Justin Bibbs. But damn, man. <laughs> Justin Bibbs is like generously 6'5", right? Yeah. And he was <laughs> stuck having to guard all of those seven-footers. That's it's just sick. Yeah. All right. I got a question for you guys here. The remaining schedule, Georgia Tech, Wake, and Louisville at home. They'll finish on the road against NC State. Mike, I know you are a gambling man, so I'll put this in terms that you can understand. Minus 110 on both sides. Will Virginia Tech go 3-1 and one down the stretch or better and secure that first round or that double buy in the ACC tournament? Um, if everybody's healthy and back, especially if Tyrese Radford's back, yes. Um, it's tough. It's tough though. I mean, man, it's just tough in the ACC this year. Like Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech's not a great team, but Passner has them playing hard. That's a losable game for Virginia Tech. I mean, Alvarado's really good and they got multiple guys playing well. They have four guys averaging a double figures. I mean, Georgia tech is certainly a losable game. They've gotten up for a lot of big time ACC opponents this year and given, given teams a hell of a time. Um, that could be one loss. And then, I mean, you've already lost to Louisville once this year. So, I mean, that could be two and two right there. So I, I would say I yes, with everybody in. back, I'll be optimistic. Rick. I think Tech has a pretty good chance of going three and one in these final four games. So that would put them at 11 and four in the ACC, which would already have them with fewer losses than Clemson, Carolina, Syracuse, and Duke. So I do think they're going to be in the top four in the conference. Um, so 
but Mike brings up a good point. Like the ACC is just such a, a crapshoot this year that nobody is really good, but there are a few pretty good teams. And then there's a few decent teams that can get hot on a night and Georgia tech can be one of those teams. So we'll see how it goes. Um, Wake's pretty bad. Louisville is going to be an issue, obviously. NC State kind of in the middle. So I don't know, but Tech has has the roster in order to go three and one, which would place them in the top four. There are so many teams that are Jekyll and Hyde this year. I'm yeah, and, like... and Tech has been that way, you know, a, a couple times this year. And Definitely. I think that just goes to. I mean, first of all, the the overall conference is just down this year in terms of the elite talent, right? Like Duke is is bad by bad. Duke standards. Carolina is bad by Carolina standards. Virginia has kind of fallen off, but then they're like, okay, it's, it's kind of all over the place. Just when they're State, playing anyone good, it's just a disaster. And when they play the lesser yeah, team, they always win. They've definitely flopped in they're a lot the of the big games so far this year, which is odd for a Tony Bennett team. But there's no like bona fide top four team in the country that's in this conference this year. And basketball is kind of a, you know, a, a lucky sport anyway, in the sense that it's a make or miss game. And if you, if you start missing, you're going to lose because there are enough teams in the conference. There's enough talent. There's enough dilution of that talent where if you go out there and just, you know, build buildings for, for 60 minutes, you got no chance. Yeah. I'm thinking about it. Like Clemson has been hot and cold all year. Like when they've been good, they've been really good when they're bad. They are like bottom four of the conference bad because (laughs) their their issue is offensively. Like their defense has been really good, but when they, when they have nights where they, build a house or build a building like you're saying yeah. like, they are brutal to watch georgia tech has been hot and cold um a little bit less. they've been a bit more consistent they've just kind of been okay nc state's been the same way Pitt has been really hot really cold um carolina rick you're right they're bad by carolina standards because their standard is always like a top five or ten team in the country but they're better than they were a year ago so they're kind of in this like weird no man's land where like they're they're a tournament team but they're just like not going to be a, a one or two seed like we expect yeah like we're used to yeah and louisville's good um they always give virginia tech a really hard time florida state they've only played three true road games so they're really good at home and they're always good at home i just wonder what they look like on the road or neutral site which is all that matters this time of year and then uva everybody knows the stat now because everybody keeps talking about it but uva against the three opponents they face this year in the top 25 they've lost each game by 20 points or more so they're getting or I, I mean by an average of 20 points I guess it is so I mean UVA is literally the bar in the ACC this year which is really funny because they're like at the top of the conference where they beat everybody they're supposed to and then anytime that they get into a game against a good opponent they lose they're literally the bar they're they're not really exceeding expectations they're not really falling like drastically below expectations but except for that San Francisco loss early in the year but they have like this weird season going by by Tony Bennett standards at UVA. It's odd. For what it's worth, I'm going to say they don't go three and one. I think they could still get the double bye, even losing twice, just because of the way the ACC is shaken out. Probably. But if there's one pattern I've followed all year in college basketball, is that these teams coming off of extended breaks do not come out the gate hot when they're done and Georgia tech scares the crap out of me in that regard. They are Jekyll and Hyde just like every other team, but they remind me of Pitt 
insofar as they have a player in Jose Alvarado who can turn it on and take over a game and Tech's going to have to step up to win that game. Otherwise, I think they'll be able to beat Wake and they should be able to beat North Carolina State. But if past is prologue and Virginia Tech hasn't beaten Louisville since Louisville joined the ACC, it's hard for me to write that in as a win. So I'm going to be cautiously, or I guess, hopefully pessimistic and say that they won't. Last question for you guys, though. Same, same format, minus 110 odds on both sides. ACC Coach of the Year, Mike Young or the field? Uh, it's Mike Young. I don't know who you. I don't know who you put ahead of him. I think it's got to be Mike Young. Ricky, I feel like Leonard Hamilton is a good candidate for it as well. Um, but I think any objective observer would be able to look at what Mike Young has done in terms of wildly overachieving uh, relative to preseason expectations, handling losing their best player um, for the last few games, just what he's been able to do and, and, and how he's been able to elevate the program so quickly uh, from the barren cupboard that was what Buzz Williams left um, it's been absolutely incredible. So I think Mike Young and Leonard Hamilton are basically a, maybe like 60, 40 in, in terms of young, but I, I, if I had to bet on anybody, I would bet on Mike, but I think Leonard Hamilton will probably get a look and who knows. I mean, the last four games might make a determination as to how this goes. Yeah. In terms of the coach of the year, I think it should be Mike Young for all the reasons that you said, Ricky, Leonard Hamilton is a good candidate. That being said, this award historically has kind of been given to the guy that performed based on expectations, right? Yeah. The guy that outperforms what he's supposed to do. And in a lot of ways, I think that's fair um, because coaches oftentimes are the, the people that create that synergy that creates something that's more than the sum of the parts. And I think that that's what Mike Young has done in Blacksburg so far. Yeah. I mean, to put it in perspective, coach K hasn't won an ACC coach of the year award since the 99 2000 season well to be fair i don't think coach k is a very good coach <laughs> i uh, think well, i think i think coach k is a very good that's, recruiter that's a hell of a take i mean I'm if you look at what he's done if, if you look at what he especially in the last five to six years it seems like he is perennially underachieving with the talent that he's bringing into the program but that's another podcast for another day. I was about to say, I don't have time to get into that right now. But I, <laughs> I truly disagree. Uh, but yeah, unless Florida State, you know, plows through the finish line and sweeps the rest of their games and Virginia Tech stumbles, I think Mike Young should be the favorite to win that award. But gentlemen, hopefully by the time we have our next podcast, we actually have a Virginia Tech game to talk about. Wouldn't that be nice? Uh, yes, yes, it would. I'm, uh, I'm over it. That'd be swell. <laughs> that would be swell. All right. I'm over it too. I am Andrew Alex, Mike McDaniel, and Ricky LeBlue. Any last messages for the people? Uh, shouts out Bradley Beal finally gets an all-star starting position. Dude has absolutely earned it. I'm not even a Wizards fan, but shouts out to Brad Beal. Michael? If you're in the D.C. metro area, don't drive. Like, it's a disaster. I'd be careful. <laughs>
Yep. Uh, certainly, you know, the snow everywhere. And like Ricky mentioned earlier in the podcast, our thoughts and prayers with the people down in Texas, that just seems like a totally horrible situation. I couldn't even imagine. So hopefully that gets resolved and everyone is okay as soon as possible. But I am Andrew Alex. They are Mike McDaniel and Ricky LeBlue, Main Street Pharmacy, the great people that allow us to do this podcast. We'll be back soon. Until then, rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. And as always, hopefully they'll be a game soon. Go Hokies.